This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, ABC. You feeling good? I am feeling rough, I've got to say. But you know what? I feel strong in the Lord this morning. I really, I really do. If you've got your Bibles with you, don't bother turning to these verses because I'm reading from the Jerusalem Bible and yours will be completely different. So I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 to 31. Did you not know? Had you not heard? Was it not told you from the beginning? Have you not understood how the earth was founded? He lives above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants look like grasshoppers. He has stretched out the heavens like a cloth. Spread them like a tent for men to live in. He reduces princes to nothing. He annihilates the rulers of the world. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, and he blows on them. Then they wither, and the storm carries them off like straw. To whom could you liken me? Or who could be my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look. Who made these stars? If not he who drills them like an army, calling each one by name. So mighty is his power, so great his strength, that not one fails to answer. How can you say, Jacob, how can you insist, Israel, my destiny is hidden from Yahweh, my rights are ignored by my God? Did you not know, had you not heard? Yahweh is an everlasting God. He created the boundaries of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond fathoming. He gives strength to the wearied. He strengthens the powerless. Young men may grow tired and weary, youths may stumble, but those who hope in Yahweh renew their strength. They put out wings like eagles, they run and do not grow weary, they walk and never tire. You know, people fascinate me, but not in a good way. I kind of look on people in the same way Attenborough looks on monkeys. I find them curious. So many people think they're free when self-evidently they're not. So many people think they're making choices for themselves, but choices are being made for them by politicians or by advertising or more often by unconscious processes over which they have very little control. And that relates to this word this morning because this morning we're, we're going to be looking at security in its three aspects. Psychological security, which is being secure in yourself. Personal security, which is being secure with other people. And we'll look a little bit at financial security, which is about being secure in your needs. But the sad thing is, so many insecure people will never experience the fullness of life as promised by Jesus Christ in John 10.10. 54 times in John's Gospel, Jesus talks about giving life to people. And the insecure person, guess what? They're not going to experience it. It's, It's sad. You might have a prophetic gift. You might have a preaching gift, and yet you will never prophesy and you'll never preach. Why? Because you're too insecure to stand in front of a crowd of people and give the word of God. You might have waiting for you a career that will be a blessing to you and your family and to others, and you'll never experience it because you're too insecure to fill out that application form or go for that job interview. Or perhaps worse still, you might never meet the love of your life. Why? Because you're too insecure to ask that person out. There's also another reason why insecurity is so difficult for us. And it's been actually shown by some research that's been done by UCL, University College London, which I only saw recently. 
Since 1946, they've examined the lives of 1,900 people, and they found that insecure people suffer molecular cellular damage. They age prematurely. We've always known that wealthy people on the whole, they tend to look younger than poor people. And we thought that was to do with the fact that they just had loads of cash. But in fact, they tend to live more secure lives because money is power. But this answers the questions I've often had. Why is it that men of God look younger than their non-Christian peers? Men like Ivy and men like Mr. Bell who led me to the Lord. And it has nothing to do with money. It's to do with the fact that they know who they are in God and therefore they have a sense of security. So guess what? If you want to stay young, you need to find a sense of security. It won't make you look more beautiful. If you're an ugly 20-year-old, you will be an ugly (laughs) 60-year-old. But people will look at you and say, there goes an ugly 50-year-old, which is something, isn't it? It's better than nothing. Okay then, let's look at psychological security, being secure in yourself. Liberal ideology teaches that gender differences are culturally, not biologically defined. And because of that, Jermaine Greer got into trouble the other week. Now, I've always liked Jermaine Greer, not because she's a woman, not because she's a feminist, but because she's Australian. The Australians are great. Unlike the lying, two-faced, perfidious British, they just say it as it is. They score very high in emotional intelligence, okay? British score very low in emotional intelligence and intellectual intelligence. We've done an awful lot of good, actually, in the world, considering we're so stupid. But Jermaine Greer got into trouble when she said, and I'll paraphrase what she said, just because you castrate yourself as a bloke doesn't make you a woman, okay? Now, my personal feeling is this. If you're a bloke and you want me to call you miss or missus, I will. I have no interest in disrespecting you at all. I will do that, okay? But I do wish, if we're going to be so sensitive to each other, that people would start being sensitive to God. Because the next time I see a liberal Anglican priest on TV saying that she loves God and she loves me, I can assure you I will put my widescreen TV through the wood chipper, okay? (laughs) God has chosen to reveal himself as father and son. So if we're going to respect each other's choices, maybe we should start respecting his choice. But you know what? The liberal ideologists are actually wrong. Guess what? There are psychological differences between men and women that are not culturally defined, okay? They actually go back a long, long way. This was proven a couple of years ago when they did a little study, and it was on TV, I remember seeing it. They took some toys, okay? Toy guns, toy cars, toy cranes, toy dolls, toy houses, and they put them on the edge of a clearing next to a forest. And they watched as these monkeys came out of the forest. And guess what? The boy toys were played with by the boy monkeys and the girl toys were played with by the girl monkeys. And these liberal guys who were doing this problem thought, oh, we're not quite sure what this means. It's obvious what it means. There are gender differences that are hardwired into us. And we have to understand that if we're going to look at psychological security. Because what makes a woman secure is different to what makes a man secure. Okay? To be accurate, we've got to look at these two aspects. It's also more funny that way as well. Carl Jung, who I have a great deal of respect for, said that girls get their sense of security from their fathers and boys get their sense of insecurity from their mothers. All teenagers are insecure because they're making the transition from childhood to adulthood. But that is meant to be a temporary experience, not a permanent one. And what can make it permanent is the parent or the absence of the parent. So, for example, with women, 
From the father, the daughter learns to respect her body, to have the confidence to express her opinions, to see herself as an independent person who is not dependent on others, but is the equal of anyone. She learns the ability to say no. This is because in psychological terms, the father represents power, and without power, there can be no security. And the best way to understand that is see what happens when things go wrong. I've worked with so many women who have been domestically abused by men. And I've worked with so many men who have domestically abused women. And I tell you what, there have been times when I've wanted to pull my hair out. I'm sitting in a cafe with a woman, and I'm telling her that when her love of her life comes out of jail, he will kill her. And she's saying, no, no, he's changed. No, look at the letters he's sending. Oh, look, no, he's different now. And you're saying, he's grooming you. He's just preparing to destroy you. People who live like that, who get into those inappropriate relationships again and again and again, normally in the background, there's either the absent or the abusive father. And the process that's at work within them is this. If I can get this nasty man to love me, guess what? Then my dad loved me. And therefore, I will feel secure in myself. And they enter into these relationships again and again because they will not give up. They want to feel that sense of security. And that is the only way that they think that they can find it. She thinks she's making that choice, but the choice is being made for her by dysfunctional psychological processes. She hasn't yet made the transition to a mature, independent woman. She is still effectively a child. And it doesn't help that the media is filled with these images of infantilized women. I was watching a, a film the other day. It was a cowboy movie. And the guy's going to go off and he's going to go off and shoot some guy in the middle of the town and he's got to leave the family and the wife is there and the kid's there. And what does he do? He bows down to the seven-year-old kid and he says, now look, you're the man of the family now. You need to look after your mum and your sisters. And it's like, he's seven. He's an idiot. All seven-year-olds are idiots. And there's this woman there. She's like 35 years of age. And she's just a simpering child saying, yes, 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 you look after me. She's a frontiers woman. It's the Midwest. It's the 1870s. They were tough chicks. They knew how to fire guns and have babies and build houses. It's ridiculous. Thank God for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> Jessica Jones, Agent Peggy Carter. At last, there are images of women in the media. Guess what? They're strong. They kick ass. When they fall down, they don't need a man to pick them up, okay? I've always believed that a Christian woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, but that's my personal opinion. But guess what? The church is guilty as well of infantilizing women. And normally it involves weak men belittling strong women because they're fearful of female spirituality. And they'll quote Bible verses to prove it. But when you look at Jesus, you don't see that. He just treats women as equal. He sits with them. He talks to them. They bless him in so many ways. Okay? Psychologically, you'll never believe this, but women are human beings. They can be independent and they can be strong. Psychologically, men get their sense of security from finding their place in the male peer group. In that way, they're a bit like dogs, okay? And they vie for positions with one another, but the influence of the overbearing or overcritical mother can weaken their ability to find their place in the world of men. Classic image in the media, Woody Allen a neurotic, self-obsessive, always fearing about his health. He's funny because he represents the son of the overcritical, overbearing Jewish mother, which is a kind of archetype. But the trouble is, men like that actually exist. 
They tend to marry overly controlling women because they only feel secure when choices are being made for them. She buys his clothes. She buys his shirts. She buys his underwear. He's 50 years of age, but actually he's just a seven-year-old boy. And his wife has become his mother. It is so wrong in so many ways. Didn't the Greeks do myths about this sort of thing? It never ends well. These people internalize their mother's criticism and so question everything about themselves. They overanalyze problems. They worry about their state of health. And they do what mature men never do. They self-obsess. Let me tell you, as a man, men are problem-solving machines. They may solve the problems that they themselves have created, but at the end of the day, that's what they do. The tile comes off the roof. You don't get a roofer. You go up there and you fix it. Your car breaks down. You don't go take it to a garage. You fix it yourself with only a few parts left over. You do not need a certificate to rewire the kitchen. You can just do that because you have that innate ability and that gift. And let me tell you, from the bottom of my heart and all that is within me, let me express this. A man does not need a health and safety certificate to cook bacon in a church kitchen, okay? (laughs) We bring home the bacon. We bolt gun it. We strip it so we can do the last bit. We can cook the rashers. But isn't it strange? We live in a country where at any moment a government official could come in here and see me cooking bacon, close down the kitchen because I've done it inappropriately. But if you choose to teach your child at home and starve it to death, nobody visits. Nobody will inspect Nobody cares. What a strange country to live in. Maybe the government has got its priorities wrong. It is only from fathers that men learn to either respect or disrespect women. If men learn how to treat women from the male peer group, then they will become abusive. Why? Because men are like dogs. That's what they do. And that's why marriage is important, because it socializes men, gives them a stake in society that they can protect and defend, namely their family, and it then socializes the next generation of women and men. All successful societies have promoted marriage. All unsuccessful ones have failed to do so. Personal security, being secure with others. This is a generational issue. And for 200 years, we've been naming generations. And what makes one generation secure might not make the other generation secure. So... If you were born between 1883 and 1900, congratulations, you're the oldest person in the world. They belong to what's known as the lost generation because they lost everything in the First World War. If you were born between 1900 and 1924, you belong to the greatest generation because they defeated fascism in the Second World War. My parents' generation belonged to the greatest generation. If you were born between 1924 and 1944, You belong to the silent generation. You have nothing to say because the two most powerful generations in history have just preceded you and you live in their shadow. If you're born between 1944 and 1964, you belong to my generation. I'm talking about my generation. (laughs) The baby boomers. We are the most favoured, God-blessed generation in the history of the world. We were the first and last generation to have free higher higher education. The first generation to enjoy free health care. We were the first generation to have full employment. We rode the tsunami of rising house prices. So a man buying a house when he's 20 in London will retire in a house worth a million quid when he's 65, even though he only paid 20 grand for the house when he was 20 years of age. There's never been a generation like us. If you're born, born between 1964 and 1984... 
you belong to Generation X. Yes. It's yes. the, without question, it's the Nirvana, Kurt Cobain generation, the angst-ridden generation. Uh, they're too inwardly looking because they're living in the shadow of the baby boomers. They don't know quite who they are. If you're born between 84 and 2000, my kids' generation, you're known as millennial, sometimes known as Generation Y. And then finally, if you're born after the year 2000, it's Generation Z. The kids in Sunday school, they're Generation Z. Okay. Each generation is different. The greatest generation, right? My father, no problem on the HMS Exeter, leavening in shells, being fired at him from the grass bay, running up Sword Beach on D-Day, being machine gun, no problem at all. My mum running across Glasgow Green, cat under arm, cousin under his arm, bombs falling from German bombers, no problem at all. And yet, give them issues of finance or give them issues of education, and they were scared. Baby boomers, on the other hand, pointed gun at us, and we will run away. <laughs> However, issues of education and issues of finance we're really, really good at. If you look at the current generation, look at the difference with social media. When a baby boomer takes a picture of their meal, I'm having rice and I'm having some tuna. It's a joke, okay? They're just playing a game. When a millennial takes a picture of their meal, they are the tuna and the rice. This is an existential statement about who they are. Millennials take social media very, very seriously in a way in which baby boomers don't. So much so, some millennials have committed suicide because of what's been said about them on social media. I mean, no baby boomer would ever do that. We regard social media as a bit of fun. It's not real. It's like a dream. I mean, I'm not on social media, but if somebody said something nasty to me on social media, I'm not sure what I'd do. I'd probably say something like, well, say it to my face, sunshine, by turning around. And yes, this chainsaw is cordless. <laughs> probably just as well I'm not on social media. But you see the difference. So security is going to be different for each generation. And advertising knows how to press those buttons to make you feel insecure and then offer you a product that will make you feel secure. And it's different to each generation. All advertising is based either on aspiration or perspiration. It's either hope or fear. For example, how do you sell perfume to men? It's a hard sell, isn't it? Well, the first thing you do is you don't call it perfume. You call it Bulldog Skin Care, or Paco Rabanne Invictus Fragrance Splash Aftershave, or Lynx Dry Dark Temptation Aerosol Rehydrating Deodorant, or my personal favourite, Brute Sports Style Aftershave. I just imagine what it's like in the 1970s when they're sitting around a table trying to work out how to sell perfume to men, and they're thinking of a name, and somebody, probably a woman, says, the trouble is men are brutes. And somebody said, yes, that's it. We'll call it brute. But we'll leave the E off because men need less letters to spell words than women. <laughs> you look at the advert selling perfume for men. I tell you what, it's weird. You've got Gerard Butler there coming out of a boxing ring. But he's not a boxer. <laughs> he's not a boxer, Arwin. He's an actor. It's not real. Well, you've got Ewan McGregor with his bell staff on selling some perfume. Now... The guy did go around the world on a motorbike, that's true, but he didn't wear perfume when he did it. Because if he had, I can assure you, when he was going through Tadakistan and Uzbekistan, they would have reenacted the piggy scene from Deliverance. And then finally, we have the strangest advert of all, Johnny Depp burying a body in the desert. What is that about? I mean, what? A perfume for men who happen to be serial killers in their spare time? I seriously do not get that one. 
The bottom line is this. All this advertising is designed to show we know you're gay, but smelling good will make you feel like a hero. <laughs> of course, we know that real heroes smell of blood, sweat, tears, and oil, which, oddly enough, are the ingredients of my new perfume for men, <laughs> which I'm going to call Morgan Stonking Aftershave and Mouthwash. Splash it on, gargle it down for men who like the smell of diesel in the morning. I think I'm going to make millions. How do you sell clothes, perfume, shoes, and feed food to women? Well, it's easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Play on their insecurities. Women don't care what men think, but they are terrified of what other women think. That is part of their biology. For 35,000 years, we were hunters and gatherers before farming came along. And there was a demarcation of responsibilities. The men hunted, the women gathered. And that shaped the way we think about the world and how we act. Men could hunt alone, but women had to gather in groups to keep themselves safe. Transfer that now to our current obsession with hunting, otherwise known as shopping. Men go out knowing what they're going to buy. Women go out just to see what they can find, okay? So, for example, a guy will say, my next car is going to be a BMW M3. A woman will say, my next car is going to be blue. See the difference? <laughs> the man is specific. The woman is general. The guy in the primordial setting went out to hunt an antelope. He knew where he was going to go. He carried his spear, his bow. He waited. He got the animal. He went home. The woman would just wander around with her friends, gathering fruit, gathering nuts, just seeing what she can find. And the hysterical truth of this difference comes out when the hunter and the gatherer go shopping together. You can often see the hunter in Marks and Sparks and Next and Primark standing there, looking forlornly at his feet, holding a shopping bag, wishing he were dead, <laughs> while the gatherer with her sisters or her daughters or her best female friends wander around, ooh, this is nice, trying this on. Would that suit you? Oh, I'd put it in blue. Do they have it in size 24? And they do, that for like, they do that for like half an hour, and they buy nothing. And then they go on to the next store, and finally the hunter loses his temper and says, I'm off, I'll see you down the pub, I'll see you outside Halford's. What he's really thinking is, I'm going to get myself a rope and find a secure mounting point because I can't live like this. <laughs> Men and women are very, very different. If you really want to rip women off in terms of taking their money from them, just talk about dieting. Sell them fat-free fructose-flavored cardboard and tell them they keep on counting those calories, they will end up looking like Kate Moss, Naomi Campbell, or Twiggy, depending on your age. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. Oprah, the most successful black businesswoman in America. In October, she invested £48 million in Weight Watchers. And since then, she has, surprise, surprise, been advertising Weight Watchers on TV. Her first tweet earned her £10 million in increased share value. I can't blame her what she's doing. But why do women think, actually, that any of that is real? Seriously, none of it is real. Be at ease with your body. Be at one with your looks. Wear and eat what you like, but as long as you keep fit, it doesn't matter. Okay, there are extremes. There's the morbidly obese and there's the anorexic. Okay, if you're in those categories, you need help. You need to see a doctor. You need to see a psychiatrist. There's some form of underlying mental illness there. But guess what? There's a whole range of acceptable body types from one end to the other. Look at me. My BMI is 32. I am technically obese, and yet there isn't an ounce of fat on me. 
I am as strong as an ox and I don't look like one. I can walk 20 miles on Black Mountain day after day with a 35-pound pack on my back, rising up and down 3,000 feet of elevation, and I don't even break into a sweat. I was up there two weeks ago on the 19th of January, spending a night praying on the mountain as I do every now and then. And I'm there, and it's an, it was an amazing night. Very cold, it was minus seven. And for the first time in my life, five stars, sorry, five planets were visible. Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars in a big arc. And I was, I was amazed. And I remembered back to the 19th of, Je- of December, 1975. The first time I went on Black Mountain to prayer. I spent four nights up there. I was 16 years of age. I'd been a Christian for five months. And I was three miles from where I was camping on the 19th of January, over by Gede Forest. And I remember sitting on a, a wall there, a stone wall, looking up at the stars, praying to God. And on the 19th, I was looking up, I was saying, Father, the stars ain't changed, and you ain't changed. But the boy has turned into a man, and I've been walking with you for 40 years, and you've blessed me all the way. I am stronger now than I have ever been in my life. I am happier, and I'm more secure. And I was an insecure, weak, uncertain kid. But he changed me and he transformed me over that period. And I don't think I'll be there in 40 years' time somehow. But you know what? You need those moments where you just look into the face of God and say, I know who I am in you. Scripture says this, Psalm 17, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the onslaught of the wicked. Advertising is an onslaught of the wicked on identity, preying on your insecurities, trying to take money off you. Do not submit to it. Do not give in to it. Finally, financial security. Being secure in your needs. I won't talk much about this because we've covered it before in a previous preach. But financial insecurity comes from monetary dependency on other people or the state or irresponsibility with money or a combination of all three. As I said before, if our faith does not confer financial freedom, then our faith has failed. I even believe, okay, that wives shouldn't be financially dependent on their husbands. Yes, somebody's got to stay at home when the kids are little preschool, fine. But what happens if he dies? What happens if a former love rival drives over him in a bus? (laughs) What are you going to do then? Marry the man who killed your husband and he comes out from jail? Of course not. Of course, some of you may be saying to yourself, well, actually, I've insured him for a million quid, so if that happens, I'll be okay. In which case, I commend you for your financial foresight, because that will indeed confer financial stability upon you. However, what happens if, instead of dying, he runs off with a Norwegian speed skater called Sven? (laughs) What are you going to do then? You'll want to kill him, but you can't, because you can't inherit if you murder someone. I know I've supervised people who've done it. So you need to keep up your skill base and you need to keep yourself ready to re-enter or stay into the workplace so that you can be financially secure. Do you know, we all have a harvest time. It runs really from the age of 20 to the age of 50. And don't get me wrong on this. You might work for your 110, but that should be what you want to do, not what you have to do, okay? And after the age of 50, you might change career, you might invent something on the internet, make millions, who knows, okay? Life doesn't end at 50. But... Those 30 years are your prime years, okay? Those are the years of harvest. Those are the years when you sow and you reap and you eat and accumulate. You apply the first 20 years of your life, the years of education, to those 30 years. And those are the years when, do you know what? You have a vision of yourself 
and you have a, a you can imagine where you want to be and how you want to get there and what you want to do and the life you want to build and it's a time of energy it really is but there's a problem and the problem is this you harvest when the sun comes out and some people when the sun comes out do you know what they do they get out the deck chair they yawn they say oh i feel tired and they lie down in the deck chair and they fall asleep if you sleep at harvest time you will pay a terrible price and this applies more to millennials and generation z than it does to the baby boomers we had a very secure upbringing right throughout our lives but i've got some bad news for you the baby boomers have broken the benefit system we've broken the economy we've broken christianity we've broken the european union we've broken the middle east we've broken the world which is what climate change is about and you millennials and generation Z, you're going to have to put those bits back together. Otherwise, you're going to be living in a very difficult place. So this is more important to you than it is for us, because we're exiting stage left. We're leaving you with the problem that we created. Okay? I think of my own kids who are millennials. We always said to them, we'll support you in whatever you do, but if you don't, want to, don't know what to do, become teachers, which is our way of kind of damning with faint praise an entire profession. And the girl did as we advised her, and now she's coming up to 30 next month and been working eight years, going down to four days a week. She's financially secure. She'll retire when she's 60, regardless whether she gets a pension or what the state says. She's free, okay? And our boy, well, 2017, hopefully he will become a teacher. But the seven years that he basically didn't do what should have been done, the seven years that he slept in harvest, that will have a consequence for the rest of his life, Okay? He's never going to go down to four days a week. He's going to be working till he's 70. In financial terms, he's missed out on 150,000 quid, which is a lot of money not to earn in your 20s. He's got there at the end of the day. But guess what? The years of harvest are so important. If you get it wrong, you will be paying a price. Because financial security doesn't mean being rich. It means just knowing that your income is secure. There's plenty of rich people who live a financially insecure life. And there's a lot of poor people who are financially secure. And that issue of security is so important to you. If you haven't got it, guess what? Things will be difficult for you. God is even more in your face than I am. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5 says this. A son who works hard at harvest time will be successful, but one who sleeps through harvest is worthless. Don't be worthless. Be worthy of yourself and your calling. Okay, nothing that I've said this morning could possibly relate at all to you if you're a Christian. Because Christian security doesn't come from psychological security or from personal security or from financial security. It will fulfill all three. But Christian security comes from knowing who you are in God. Okay? These beautiful words from the ERV version of the Bible, Psalm 22, verse 9 to 10, for me encapsulate it all. God... The truth is, you are the one who brought me into this world. You made me feel safe while I was still at my mother's breast. You have been my God since the day I was born. I was thrown into your arms as I came from my mother's womb. Has that been your experience? Or are those just words on the page? Because unfortunately, there is a division between secure Christians and insecure Christians. And this is how I want to end, really, looking at the difference. For the insecure Christian, guess what? The past is still alive. They still live in it. They're looking back to it, particularly if it was traumatic. 
For the secure Christian, the past is gone. Even if they've had a traumatic upbringing. Do you know what? For them, there's such a thing as post-traumatic growth. Some people, after trauma in early life and in early childhood, do you know what? They use that energy to climb the heights, to transform themselves. It doesn't get them down. It causes them to rise up. Scripture says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old life has passed away and all things have become new. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Now you are wearing a new life, a life made every day. You are growing in your understanding of the one who made you. You are becoming more and more like him. The secure Christian is living in the present and looking forward to the future. The insecure Christian is looking back at the past and cannot let it go. Take the example of the absent or the abusive father or the older critical mother. For the insecure Christian, that is still alive. They still look back to that. Or if they're a woman, maybe they're looking back to the man, the abusive man who fulfilled that role. They can't let go of that. But for the secure Christian, the word of God has become alive in their life. Matthew chapter 23, verse 9. Do not call anyone on earth father. You have only one father and he is in heaven. When you know that your father is God, it doesn't matter whether you had a good or a bad father or no father. It doesn't matter. The overcritical mother, it doesn't matter. You know who you are in him. And what is the difference between the secure and the insecure Christian? It's born out best of all when we look at problems. Some people in ABC Church, they have problems as high as Snowden. And you never hear from them. They don't complain, they don't moan, they don't ask for prayer. Why? Because whether they can articulate this or not, they know that within that problem is the hand of God shaping them. They're the marble, he's the sculptor, he's knocking bits off them. And they know that that process is ongoing. For other people, the narrative of their life is their problems. That's who they are. It's problem after problem after problem. What is the difference between the two? Faith. Faith. The secure Christian knows the truth of the words. Hebrews 11.1 Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence for things unseen. They know the hand of God is in their life shaping them. The person whose life is just a catalogue of problems, they don't see the hand of God. Faith is absent. What does it say in scripture? Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. And we are also content with the problems we have. Because we know that dealing with these problems will bring patience, and patience brings perseverance, and perseverance brings hope. And this hope is not deceptive, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Are you content with your problems? Do you see in them the hand of God? Or is it just problem after problem after problem? The difference is faith. And then we come to the issue of disappointment. That church you invested 30 years of your life in, it failed. That marriage you invested 30 years of, life, of your life in, guess what? He ran off with a Norwegian speed skater, although you were warned. You went to the gym six times a day and you still got cancer. That firm, that firm that you made what it is today, they turned their back on you and just threw you out the door. That gold-plated pension, somebody stole it. Those kids you invested all your time and energy in, ferrying them all over the place, they turned their back on you and they grew up because that's what kids do. But are you discouraged? Nope. Because you're a secure Christian and you know that the reward is not for the outcome, it's for the labor that you put in. And by so doing, you honor God and prove yourself to be faithful. However, for the insecure Christian, 
All they see is that they sowed and they never reaped. They sowed and they never ate. They sowed and they never accumulated. They haven't got the eyes of faith to see that God observes and God is aware and God will reward. Secure Christian is like Abraham. He never got to see the promised land because the promised land in the end for him wasn't Israel, it was heaven. And that's, that's the key understanding that you have to have. You find yourself... As a son of God, you find your security in God and it transcends all of the experiences you have and all of the outcomes. And if you haven't got faith, you will miss out on all of that. And the sad thing is, a lot of Christians have been brought up by good parents and they've lived in good churches and they're surrounded by good friends and they have a sense of security, but it's not Christian security. It mimics Christian security, but it's not based on their experience of God. And that will all unravel on the most insecure day of our lives. And I'll end with this. And that's the last day. What is the hope of the atheist? The hope of the atheist is that when he dies, there's nothing. Oblivion. What a thing to look forward to. I tell you, either atheists are the bravest people on earth or they're idiots. The Bible actually says they're idiots, so I guess that's the answer. But you know what? I've got bad news for you, atheists. There is life after death. And we know it experimentally. There have been so many examples down the years of people who have been on operating tables and they have technically died and they've experienced their spirit leaving their body. And some of them go up towards the light and some of them fall down towards the dark. The best example I ever heard, a lady blind from birth on the operating table. She dies. She leaves her body. She looks back at the room and she starts screaming hysterically. And when the operation is over and she wakes up, she's absolutely out of her mind and the doctors and the nurses are trying to find out what's going wrong and it's not that she could see the room it's not that she could see people and objects and things you know because she had a sense of what the world looked like from touch but what she'd never seen in her life was color and color freaked her out and the nurse is saying this is strange because she went into the operating theater unconscious how could she have seen these things and the doctor said it's even more strange she'd been blind from birth don't tell me there isn't life after death it's going to happen to every one of us. The atheists will be the most surprised. The trouble is, what happens then? For the Muslim, their hope is that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds and that therefore they'll experience paradise. But it don't matter how good a life you live as a Muslim. To be a Muslim is to deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So how can the Son of God save you when you deny who he is? Same for the non-Christian Jew. You know, they've always taught for 2,000 years that Jesus is a false messiah. How can you enter the Son's kingdom when you're denying the existence of the Son? But for us, for believers, it should be simple. It's not the end. It is the beginning. You know, when the last few hours of Ivian's life, what was he asking for? Bizarrely, he was asking to listen to some of the preachers I'd done, which somebody hadn't put on the internet and... He was a bit annoyed about that. And you think to yourself, why bother? A few hours' time, you're going to be in glory. But you know what? He was a faithful man. A faithful husband and father and elder and prophet and pastor and worker. And he just wanted to be faithful to the end, to use even the last hours of his life to show to his God that he had fulfilled the commission that had been given to him. That's the way men of God move from this life to the next, and women of God. You use every moment in the service of the Most High, and you know who you are. You don't go through that door being scared. 
You know on the other side are your loved ones who died in the faith and the man you've loved all your life, Jesus Christ. He's waiting for you with a reward of bliss and responsibilities and who knows what else, a new body. It is tremendous. For me, the words that best sum up the future for the secure Christian are these words in Revelations, chapter 21, verse 1 to 7. It's John and Jesus talking, and this is actually from the King James Version because it just reads so well. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the temple of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and he will be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is thirsty water from the fountain of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. It's a great hope you have, isn't it? Thank you so much, Ian. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.